Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Praying Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website, www.prayingmedic.com. Now let's jump into this week's show. My guest on today's show is my friend Richard Mull from Operation Light Force. Richard's ministry specializes in inner healing and deliverance. Richard, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? Doing excellent. I see your beautiful face. <laughs> yeah, Denise did some Photoshop work on that because I had to start putting my face out there a little bit more. Yeah. So uh, I, I jokingly said that to um, I had a graphics guy who's just out of sight. And I said, I said, you can make me look better, can't you? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was totally <laughs> My teeth, man, they were like glistening, shining. If, I, if it had been a full shot, man, I would be probably looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Who knows? Denise makes everything I do look good. I, yeah. I, love, I love being married to a Photoshop uh, master. She oh, is yeah. so good at it. <laughs> <laughs> there was another guy that we were ministering to recently who um, – his whole business is business headshots. And I was like, there, there's that niche in business. And he goes, Oh yeah. He goes, I'll make people look good. And I was like, okay. You know, um, every, everybody has their little talent that they bring to the table. Don't they? Yeah. Yeah. His parents Crazy. were the founders of Krispy Kreme donuts. Have you ever heard of Krispy Kreme donuts? Oh yes. I know all about Krispy Kreme. So I was like, man, you got to hook us up. <laughs> <laughs> Now that I'm eating healthy, no. yeah, I'm I'm trying to get an uh, into a healthier lifestyle. I, I don't go to donut shops really much anymore. When I was working on the ambulance, we used to go, you know, from time to time. But uh, just like police, huh? Yeah, when you work in whether it's fire, EMS, or law enforcement, junk food tends to be a big part of your diet unless you're really disciplined about it. Yeah. So I'm really glad I finally got to talk to you after all of our problems yeah. with getting connected. But I really like Uber Conference. I did a call with Steve Bremner and a couple other guys, gosh, a week or two ago. And I was really impressed. They all had really good quality microphones, and I had a really crappy microphone. And they sounded great, and I sounded terrible. So I went a couple of days ago and ordered a, a new microphone from Amazon. And I've it came. got so many microphones. I got Sennheisers and um, Shures and stuff like that. We got little sound systems and different things. But a lot of times I just operate, like right now I'm operating right off my Mac. And um, as long as that's good, I, yep. I, yeah, it's usually just really good quality. So, Yeah, that works for me. So um, I have some questions for you. Um, I primarily was hoping to talk today about... Uh, ministry to the broken soul, your experiences with that. But how did you get, for people who don't know much about you, how did you get started in ministry? Um, I was growing up in middle-class family, always went to good churches. You know, it, it was usually like the biggest church in town, the most recognized church in town, you know, which was often Baptist. Um, I mean, I, I had the typical goals, you know, nice big house, two 
expensive cars, two point three, you know, golden retriever, you know, la la la. And but I fell in love with the Lord, and that was the most important thing to me. I was like reading Leonard Ravenhill when I was in high school and A.W. Tozier and stuff like that, but still pretty much trying to head in the same direction as everybody else. And people began to say, Richard, you're called into the ministry. And I would be like, what? No, you know, and for a couple of reasons, I was sure that wasn't true because I didn't like talking in front of people and just the, the, the you know, the main things that I thought of as being in ministry weren't things that I felt comfortable doing. But I love telling people about Jesus. I would witness to people. Um, and I just spent time with the Lord. So people began to, to see something and, and began to say it. And it was around my junior, senior year that I was like, I know God's calling me into the ministry. But, you know, I, I always thought that was going to be something more traditional. And, you know, was going to Bible college I heard about being a missionary. I thought that's where I'd spend my life because the missionaries that I met were mostly telling people about Jesus and spending time, you know, reaching out to the lost and things like that. And I was like, but, that's, but that's not that. living in a $250,000 house with two and a half kids and two cars. Right. And my parents said, there's no way God could call you into the ministry because your tastes are <laughs> really rich. And I was like, well, maybe he can give me both, but, uh, you know, the it was more about serving the Lord than about all that stuff over time. So how did you get interested and how did you get activated in deliverance and inner healing? I it began a very interesting way. It was in a large seeker sensitive church. Uh we were one of the fastest growing churches in the southeast at the time. Um ahead of the curve, way before um people knew much about all that stuff. We were a cell-based, seeker-sensitive Baptist church when nobody had ever put those same words in a sentence, I think. And I was helping to write the discipleship curriculum, and we were copying Willow Creek and Saddleback and, you know, doing what everybody else were doing, the fast-going churches in the nation. We were just copying all that. And I began to ask a question. And the question was, what does a disciple look like in the Bible? What what did they mean by making disciples in the Bible? That is a very dangerous question. Yeah. And I, started, <laughs> I thought, who was better to look at as the model than Jesus? And it was right. almost as if I read the Bible for the first time. And I honestly, I'd read through the Bible many times already. It was something I did every year, sometimes several times in a year. And it, But it was like I read it for the first time because I saw almost instantly Jesus taught 12 ordinary guys to cast out evil spirits, to heal the sick, and to preach the kingdom of God. To be honest, I wanted to close my Bible, put it away, and forget what I was seeing. Because Go, go and sell Krispy Kreme donuts and maybe oh, one day have your own franchise. I was <laughs> like, because that stuff sounds impossible. The implications of it sound, I knew, like right off the bat, I'm going, this would cost me my reputation. There's not a church or people that I know of that would be open to this. Now, you were in a Baptist church. Did you know people who operated in the miraculous? Or I did not know anyone. Well, I had spent a year, not even a full year. I'd really only spent 10 weeks at Last Days Ministries. Keith Green um, had founded it. It was kind of a YWAM base at the point that I went there. Right. 
So that was the closest I had gotten YWAMer type people and hearing testimonials of the supernatural. And my heart was just set on fire for that. That's the type of experience that I wanted. Um, in seminary, um, before this prayer, I had traveled with Ralph Neighbor to Singapore, Hong Kong, Malaysia, and we were studying world-class cell-based churches. And while we were there in Singapore and in some of these other countries, we saw churches that looked identical to what I ended up on staff at here. From the okay. outside, they were cell-based, they were large, fast-growing, making an impact. The difference was in every small group we went to, people were telling testimonies of people being healed, of um, leading people to Christ, visiting people in the hospital. And these were just business people, housewives, average people. They were casting demons out of people. Now, this was in the Far East. This is in Singapore. and Yep. And so we, uh, our, our professor, Ralph Neighbor, said, this is going to mess you up for church as you know it. And he was right. <laughs> you know, I went from there back to a big church here in the U.S. and never totally forgot what I saw there. I was like, God, why isn't it that this type of Christianity can happen in America? So that, when, what time frame was that? This was around the late 90s. Uh, the early 90s is when I went to Singapore, Hong Kong, Malaysia. That's when I finished up my graduate right. degree. And I so spent late about- 90s, you're back stateside, and, you're, and the seed that was planted is starting to germinate and sprout a little bit. And you're like, ooh, man. Yeah. A couple of years later is when I actually got saved. <laughs> <laughs> I left the church that I was on, had been on staff at, and I was I – was, it was one of the largest youth ministries in the area. I mean, there was a lot of fruit, but I knew um, the Lord was speaking to me. And, and I ended up spending the next three years, no position, no title. Um, my wife didn't have a job. I had my resume could have gotten me in almost any church, but it was really, I knew a choice between the kingdom of God and continuing with the pathways that I had been on. The, the kingdom versus churchianity. Yeah, I, I spent every day on my face with the Bible open, just seeking God and saying, I want the type of Christianity that I see in the Bible. And I did some extended fasting. And for about a six-month period of time, I began to get invitations, leading worship or speaking. And I, I didn't have a flyer out. I wasn't telling anybody I did anything. But everywhere for six months that I led worship or spoke, somebody would manifest demons. Well, I was asking God to do this kind of stuff. I just didn't mean at my meetings. <laughs> and I, I hate it when he does training, that. <laughs> zero training, never been around. I had heard some testimonies from people over the years, but never had anybody teach me anything about this. And I was learning to hear God's voice, and but I doubted it. I was like, is this God or is this me? Is this God or is this me? Well, in the moment when someone's manifesting demons in front of you, I was like, okay, God, I'm going to do what I believe you're telling me to do. Even if I'm making it all up, I'm going to do what I believe you're telling me to do. And it would work. And But I'd still wonder, am I helping that person? Like, what just happened? And... Well, if you have no training, you don't know what to expect. You don't have the training manual. You don't have the first do this, then do that. And if you see this, then do the next thing. You're just kind of winging it. 
and you're just really learning to hear God's voice. So you're doubting what, even what you think you're hearing. Maybe it's just you, maybe it's God, maybe it's not. You know, you're in a pretty difficult situation. And this is a situation a lot of people are in right now. Yeah. Yeah. So many people in the body of Christ don't know how to hear God's voice. That's, I created a study Bible called God Speaks, and I've written, I've taught on the subject. But I do, when, when I speak somewhere, and it doesn't matter what denomination is, I do a uh, survey. How many of you are not sure that you've ever heard God speak? Without fail, it's over 75%. Now, they're, they're, the only exceptions that I've found to that is when I did a conference with Roberts Learden, and, you know, it's, the, it's all people that have left their nation to come to this conference to hear the Bill Johnsons and all people like that. It was right. about, about 50% raise a hand. They weren't sure they'd ever heard God. And I was like, that's the highest percentage. That's the first question that I asked that I had ever seen. And then the next question I ask is, all right, how many of you would say, I know I've heard God, but it's only been a handful of times. Usually when I ask that question, we are down to at the most, 10, 15%. The next question is how many of you go, um, I have heard God and I've heard him many times, but it's not a regular daily experience. By this time, I'm at 90% of the congregation have raised their hand, usually closer to 95 or 99%. And then the last question, how many of you go, I hear God on an almost daily basis? And, and it's anything from 1% to a small percentage. There've been, there's one church where the pastor had done a great job at equipping their people and most a high percentage of the, and I was shocked because it was not a church. I would have expected it, but they were like 70% of the people said, I hear God on a regular basis. And I was like, this blows me away. What am I doing here to teach? You know? And yet they felt (laughs) like they learned a lot at the same time, but yeah. yeah. So it's sad. I was a pastor and I had never had a class. Seven years of theological training, never had a class on how to hear God's voice. Never a Sunday school class, never a, a sermon in my whole life. Yep. I have a friend who is a, well, she's a theologian. She teaches at Biola University. And uh, she's got, I think, a master's and possibly a PhD in divinity. And all of her training has never had any classes on the supernatural. Hearing God's voice, no classes on deliverance, none of that. Did Biola at one time have a lot of the Spirit filled as a part of it? I don't know that much about it. Um, I ran into her because she was healed of bipolar. And I interviewed her, I think, a year or two ago. And she just was amazed at the revelation that demons are real. And you can hear God's voice, and none of this stuff is taught in seminary or Bible college, in, in most of them anyway, yeah. Yeah. which is why um, the schools of supernatural ministry are popping up all over the place, because people are starting to figure out, you know, maybe it's a good idea to teach people how to hear God's voice. Maybe. Yeah. There's a lot of reluctance in the church when it comes to the subject of deliverance and emotional healing. Do you think... Um, that is due to you know, fear and misunderstanding uh, about the demonic? Or is it fear of the supernatural? Is it fear of being wrong? What do you think it is that is the kind of the stumbling stone for a lot of people? I, I actually believe a lot of times it's fear of what we don't know about. It's fear of the unknown. 
there's so much misinformation. I, I hear people talk about it and they have no experience. And rather than look at the Bible and go, if it's in the Bible, it's got to be true. They talk about some story they heard um, of somebody trying to cast out demons and beating people up. Or, you know, it's like you get the weirdest stuff. And, but yeah, it's, I had one pastor used to say, what you're not up on, you're down on. And it's the fact that we don't have any teaching. To, to think that you're a pastor and you've got all this training and have none of that, then someone else comes along and starts talking about something like that. You're the one that's supposed to have all the answers, at right. least in your head, you know? And, and so if you've not been trained in it, then you're going to be afraid of it. There's not a good reason to be afraid. Uh, the more you know, the less fear you have. But uh, I think that that is the big one of the biggest things that keeps people from it. That is very true. I've I've noticed in my own walk, um, as I've become more uh, kind of immersed in the supernatural, the fears that I had have pretty much gone away because you gain those life experiences, you see some victory, you see some cool things happen, you know that God is partnering with you, and when you see those things happen, the fear factor just kind of fades into into the background, and you're not afraid yeah. of those things anymore after a while. One other fear that I think is massive is we actually fear the devil, which is really, really bad theology. Um, <laughs> but it's based upon experience because a lot of times when you are not doing anything that's a threat to the enemy, then the enemy leaves you alone. And so there, there is some semblance of reality. I know for myself, the whole beginning of this was the first time I did an extended fast. I was at, beginning to ask God to teach me these things. I was doing an extended fast, and it was like all hell broke loose in my home. Never before had my wife ever seen something in my home. My kid woke up in the middle of the night, two nights in a row, saw a monster in his room. And I didn't know the voice of God well at the time. Now that I know the Lord's voice, I know it was actually the Spirit of God speaking to me, but it was like I knew and, and so it was God speaking to me. I could, I, usually when I tell the story, I don't say God told me because at that time I didn't know how to hear God's voice. But the Lord told me, Richard, if you back up, the enemy will quiet down, but that doesn't mean he's going to leave. Right. And that's what I've noticed. And, and I've heard that from a lot of people. I get you know emails all the time and questions from people. They start reading my book on hearing God's voice or seeing in the spirit or, or healing and they start try to step out in the supernatural. They're trying to operate in authority. They're trying to release power, and they're <laughs> they're trying to get demons out. And then their life starts going sideways. They're like, "Wait a minute! I'm having these demons attack me at night. <laughs> I'm having all these problems. Everything seems to be coming against me. What's going on?" I'm like, "Well, you are now engaged in the battle. And once you put on the armor and start doing a little bit of warfare." enemy is going to try to intimidate you, back you down, and let you know you're in for a, a battle. But yeah. what I found personally is there's that season in the beginning, usually for most people, where there's intense warfare. And if you get through that, the, the warfare seems to, I think, calm down a little bit. And it's not quite as intense. Uh, at least that's what I've noticed. But maybe I, that's I think it. you find the keys to winning in the warfare. Like right now, I know that some, some of the stuff that God has us doing, the bullseye is just bigger 
and the attack has been even more intense. But when I know, like there's times the Lord wakes me up and says, you know, stuff that might scare other people. I won't even mention it, but the enemy's coming after you. No, that's okay. I mean, I I have a friend, uh, Steve Harmon. I don't know if you know Steve. Yeah. Steve does a lot of work with people who are, you know, victims of satanic ritual abuse. Yeah. And he's doing it all the time. And he gets woke up in the middle of the night by an angel who says, uh, they're coming after you. Get up and move. Get out of the house. So it's not like if you're doing this, you know, high level ministry, it's not like the attacks go away completely, but you do learn to discern that, you know, how the Lord is leading you and, and kind yeah. of giving you heads up on how to avert <laughs> the attack that's coming. I wake up and I just begin to pray and I pray on the spirit and I'm going, we're going to do more damage to the kingdom of darkness than you can do to me because greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Like we don't have to be afraid. One time I was laid on the floor, I had intercessors and I had told them that I'd found out that Satanists and Wiccans were coming against us in our ministry. I'm laying on the floor and everybody's like, oh my gosh, this is serious. We're praying. And the Lord spoke to me and said, what are you doing on the floor, Richard? And I was like, well, God, we got Satanists and Wiccans coming against us. They're praying against us. I think they're fasting. And the Lord's like, what are you doing on the floor? And I was like, Lord, didn't you hear me? And it was like, all of a sudden I was like, well, that's stupid. Of course he heard me. What am I doing on the floor? What am I doing on the floor? I just got up and I began to war. The attacks seemed to stop instantly. And it was like, wow. Too often, the way we do warfare is hiding behind a chair and hoping the devil can't find us, you know, rather than going, man, I got weapons. Well, what the enemy is trying to do is back you down yeah. and intimidate, intimidate you and cause you to be afraid. And if you are not afraid, if you don't back down, if you come back at the enemy in boldness, that is our warfare. Our warfare in Absolutely. Ephesians 6 is to stand the enemy's coming at you, spiritual forces of wickedness and high places. What do you do? Stand. Stand against the evil day. You don't have to like run around and scream and holler. You just need to stand against, <laughs> against the attack. Yep. In your ministry, you use the term uh, broken soul and ministering to the broken soul. Can you explain a little bit about what that's all about? Yeah, in James, um, James actually coined um, a word that they didn't find uh in the greek before he used it and it's um dipsuke it's translated most of the time double um, minded but it's actually double souled and it Mm. talks about the double souled person is unstable in all his or her ways i think the reason we it was not translated double souled is because people couldn't wrap their heads around someone having two souls you know You, you you want to save souls and my soul is saved and it's going to heaven. And so it it made it difficult to translate it double soul. But what the enemies understood for a long time is that um, you can fracture someone's psyche. Satanists have known it and do it intentionally. Our military has understood it, done it intentionally. I like to lay a biblical foundation for stuff. And it talks about our heart being broken. It talks about loving the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. God binds up the brokenhearted. And a lot of the concept behind this type 
of ministry and this reality has been there in the word of God for a long time. And the realization and the need for it has become more and more apparent. I used to think that anybody that had like what they would term multiple personality disorder, it's more recently become called disassociative identity disorder, that that was all demons. And began to understand that it's not all demons, that there's often broken parts of someone's soul and you can actually talk to those different parts. Now, the interesting thing is that it was, it's been very apparent in people who've been diagnosed with, you know, bipolar, schizophrenia, PTSD, um, with multiple personality disorder, DID, all those different types of things. And as we began to minister those broken parts of the soul, what what we came to understand is that many people have that. In fact, you connected with me because you heard from Jesse Berkey, his testimony. And the interesting thing was he was just asking me what we were doing. And I began to describe some of it to him. And all of a sudden we were there in a restaurant and he's going, oh my goodness, there's something going on inside of me. And he goes, it's like there's a part of me that wants to say something right now. And I said, well, let's not do it right here in the restaurant. Um, and, and we scheduled an appointment. I have that happen on a regular basis. And he would have, I would have not put Jesse in the category of someone who needs this kind of ministry. Man who's walking with God, you know, God's used him powerfully. And all I'm doing is telling him testimonies and explaining some of the, you know, facets of this type of ministry. And all of a sudden it begins to happen. And, and I've had that happen many times. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, we're in ministry on the spot with people that I just was trying to explain something to them. So it it is not just people that have the more obvious breaks. I I sat and received ministry, not because I had any thought that I needed this kind of ministry, but because in our ministry, I don't want anybody ministering with me who's not willing to receive ministry. So I was like, before I start teaching this to my team. I want to go through this kind of ministry and just see if there's something there. And sure enough, there were broken parts of my soul that could be talked to. And I had never been aware of hearing, you know, some people are very much aware. They're like, I feel like there's two of me. People are like, I feel like there's multiple personalities. People describe it in different ways. I had nothing like that that I was aware of. They were pretty innocuous. There was nothing major. I didn't grow up with any kind of childhood traumas um, to speak of, but um, it was it was beautiful receiving ministry, anyways. So that's that's cool. Um, I, I I think I have a testimony that's kind of similar to yours. I didn't have a, a terribly traumatic childhood, although as a paramedic, I've seen a lot of uh, pretty devastating stuff that. I'm pretty sure I need some emotional healing from. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of dead bodies and tortured people and some pretty gruesome things. But um, it was interesting how I came to the awareness that I had some parts that needed healing. Uh, the Lord actually gave me a dream. And in the dream, I saw two versions of me. One was an outgoing, gregarious person who you know liked hanging out with people. And the other version of me was hiding in a cave and was a recluse. And they met. <laughs> the um, 
the outgoing one went into the cave and was talking to the the recluse version of me and was trying to coax him to come out of the cave. And this dream was, oh gosh, a couple of years ago. And it was right about the time I was starting to learn more about emotional healing. And I thought, uh-oh, um, hmm, something's going on here. <laughs> so I found out through doing ministry with a friend of mine that I, I had a, an altar that uh, needed to be healed and integrated. And that was an interesting process. But, yeah. you know, the, the terms that we use, um, altars, parts, fragments, the core, can you talk a little bit about what those terms mean for the person who doesn't really know much about them? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting words and terms because a lot of times for me, I want to find biblical foundation for everything. Even us, we're grappling with what do we call some of these realities and, and some of these things. Um, so what, what the word alters means is it's another part of who we are. As we're ministering to someone, it is them. But in a childhood trauma, what takes place is that a little child, and there are breaks for so many different reasons. I'm going to use two different examples if that's okay. One is a, a child is raped. They got to go to school the next day. And so what happens is that part of their soul holds that memory and fractures and they go to school and act like nothing ever happened. And they're not acting. It is like, it was so traumatizing that they aren't able as a child to process that. And it's like, it's God's grace that allows that, I believe, so that the child doesn't live 24 seven. There are children that go through this on a daily basis. Now, the interesting thing is I've seen parts that they broke. There was one, um, dear friend of ours and got ministry and it was a woman. And also we were talking to a five-year-old boy. And I was like, okay, this is kind of strange. Why is this part have a boy's name? Cause usually girls parts have girls names, guys parts. And I'm thinking there's going to be something really weird sexual going on. No, when she was five years old, mom had had it with all the kids in the house and said, you guys go outside in the backyard. I'm locking this door. You can't come back in, play with your friends. And in that moment, she was like, I'm locked out of my house. It was like a five-year-old's perspective on what just happened. And I can't imagine how many moms have done the same thing. You know, I've had enough. You guys go out there and play. She was like, I was in the backyard with all my friends, but I felt this abject abandonment in the moment. And, And then she said to herself, the boys get to play with sticks and climb trees. I want to be a boy. And I was like, that explains why she had a boy's name. This part broke one day when she was like, I'm totally rejected from my mom. And I've got to play out here with my friends. And it's a bunch of boys. And they get to do these things that I don't get to do. So I'm going to be a boy. It's very interesting as you start talking to these parts that this grown woman, a friend of mine, lives in a nice part of the city. One time I, I asked a question or said something that, that she didn't like a little bit. And because she's five years old, she's reacting to things as an adult. She interacts to you and she goes, I just want to come over there and punch you. <laughs> and it was just like, okay. <laughs> and, and then because it was, you're going through this kind of ministry, you still 
can respond. All of a sudden, she's like, Richard, you know that's not me. I would never say that. I don't want to hit you. I said, I know, I know. And the next thing we know, we're talking to this five-year-old boy. But it all began to make sense. But trauma can look so different. We deal a lot with pretty heavy brokenness. Dear, another dear friend of ours, um, she had had her mom die, and then her brother died within eight months. There were all kind of parts that fractured, all different, and most of them had fear-based. All of her physical illnesses were fear-based. God has healed almost every one of her physical illnesses. She had multiple chemical sensitivity, had to wear a mask, couldn't go into the bathroom at work, had to go somewhere else to a bathroom because of the soaps that they used, all kinds of stuff. None of that. The asthma, the sinus problems, all of that's healed as we've dealt with the fear base. Um, but it was a whole bunch of different parts. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> you are on a roll. And I have some things I want to talk about. I, I, I talk to people who uh, operate in emotional healing and physical healing. And one of the things that I've been kind of learning and hearing from other people is that if you have difficulty getting somebody healed of what seems to be a physical condition, like Uh autoimmune or environmental sensitivity or illness, things of that nature, it seems like there's almost always an emotional trauma that needs to be healed first because typical exercising authority, releasing power just doesn't work on those people. If you go in and find out where the emotional trauma is at, get the parts of the soul healed. I'm hearing from people, they have much better success getting those people healed after they do the emotional healing. Yeah. And two, the sad thing is many times they've been in churches and if they're in a faith church, it's that they need more faith. If they're, you know, and, and, and they've been claiming it and praying for it. Everybody's praying for the symptoms and no one ever looks at the possibility of there even being a root. And so you're hitting the nail on the head. It's all intertwined. Faith is huge key. It's a very important key. It's not the only key. You make a a reference to the tools. And that's one of my favorite analogies is the tool belt. God has given us a lot of tools for ministry. He has given us authority, and we can exercise authority over demons. He's given us power. We can release power to work miracles. He's given us emotional healing. We can get Jesus into this dynamic where he heals the broken parts of the soul. He has given us his presence. When we release, God's presence comes in. He can do miracles and us not even pray or release power or authority. He's given us words of knowledge. He's given us things of that nature. And what, I, what I've found is if you're not familiar with all the tools, you're, you'll have a very difficult time getting a lot of people healed because if your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And if you're just told it's all about faith, just got to have more faith, well, that doesn't give people a lot of hope for getting healed if they just, well, I have faith, but, you know, it's yep. not getting healed. Yep, absolutely. And I, I find that whenever I get to add a new key, all of a sudden certain things that where we had run into roadblocks, now we begin to see, you know, I, I want to call up everybody that used to get ministry and go, I have a new key and I know this you know, because <laughs> yeah, exactly. for years I actually resisted what we call broken soul ministry today because the people that I found that were doing it couldn't give me some answers that were important to me. One is I never felt like they gave a good biblical foundation for it. 
the other thing is I felt like um, when, when I would talk to them, they, they would talk like they were authorities, but they were talking about, we've been working with this person 15 years and we're almost to the point of breakthrough. And I'm going, I know the Lord's bigger than that. And these were some decent sized ministries and supposed experts in this field. And I was like, God, I'm willing to work with someone as long as it takes. But if they don't have fruit yet, then I I don't want to copy what they're doing. Exactly. It took a while before I found people that I felt were having the kind of fruit that I would expect. And, you know, we're applying these principles in a way that was really effective and healthy. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I love to learn from people who are having good success and who are getting breakthrough in areas that no one else is. Like there are some people that are really good at, you know, physical healing and and that's great. Nothing wrong with that. You can learn from those people. But what about people who are, you know, how's your record on autoimmune or how many people have you seen healed of MS or Lou Gehrig's disease? Um, those difficult things, you know, people will run into, they'll get the 80% success rate on healing and then go, well, you know, we can't get this healed and can't get that healed. And then my question is why? What, what, are you, what are we missing that we can't get those conditions healed? When I look around, I see other people who are having good success or some success in that area and go, okay, what are you guys doing? Well, they have a different approach. Yeah. They've added some different tools. They have a different understanding. God's shown them specific things, whether it's generational issues or emotional trauma. And you know, generational issues is a good example. I have like zero experience with um, generational healing. I have no revelation from God on it. Uh, and, I, and I've had you know, hundreds of dreams where God has shown me different aspects of healing, but he's never spoken to me about generational issues. But he has spoken to a lot of my friends about it. And I have friends who have really good success with generational things. And then I have people like you and Steve who are really going after um, you know, SRA and DID and, and emotional trauma. I like to find those people that are having success, either learn what they're doing and learn how to do it myself or have a resource where I can refer people to them. And I refer a lot of people out to other ministers who are having success with stuff that I'm just not having success with. Awesome. So I want to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, the parts because this, oh gosh, this is such an interesting subject for me and for a lot of my, my listeners, people who follow my podcast, the, um, the emotional trauma, and fragments and altars and those discussions are some of the most, I get more questions and, and those programs tend to get more listens and downloads than any other program because people re are really hungry to learn about this. Now, when you're doing ministry to somebody who's got, um, you know, whether you call them fragments or altars or parts, I think parts is a good term because it's hard to make that distinction between, well, this is an altar and this is a fragment. Um, some people make that distinction, but I think it's kind of a gray area, but you, you seems like you generally refer to them just as parts. Yeah. When you're doing ministry to a, a, a fragmented or broken part of the soul, like you just discussed this as this fragment or this part came up and was talking like a five-year-old boy. Is that typically for you how this happens? The, the wounded part of the soul just comes up, takes over, starts talking. And you just have a dis normal discussion with them. Can you talk us through a little bit of that? It's interesting because in my whole journey, I've been exposed to a lot of different people in ministry. And I've learned things from people. And I've, I've learned a lot of different systems. 
But for whatever reason, the Lord has used us in in ways where it has to be so spirit-led that what I did yesterday, if the same thing happens today, and the Spirit tells me to go a different way, we go a different way. So even how parts manifest, it varies. Sometimes what happens as we begin, we do a super simple prayer. Um, and, and again, I'm not giving anybody this to, for a formula to, to copy, um, but, it, but it's just kind of the gist. First of all, I pray for the core, that, that the, the main part of the soul would just be at peace, at rest, that they would be able to relax and not feel the need to take over. Not, not feel the need to do anything. I explain all this to them even before we pray it. And then I pray that God would make a clear distinction between any parts that, that he wants to minister to and the core so that they know this is not me. This is the part of my soul. And that the Lord would let them know that this is safe. We are safe. Because a lot of times different parts, they, they would know. People are going to label us like it's crazy if we talk. Um, they may have been threatened by people. If, someone, if a woman's been raped and she's been threatened, a lot of times, even if she doesn't remember, that part remembers the threat. And that's why she's not talked about those experiences. And sometimes the parts get threatened by, yeah. the, by demons, right? Yeah. So that's another issue. So, you know, my prayer is that they would know that they are safe. There is no ability of the enemy to retaliate. Then I pray against all demonic that's been attached to any parts, that the Lord would bind it, chain it, that the parts could even see what the Lord does to these parts, that they could see that they are safe, that there's a distance, that, that the Lord has chained them and bound them. Because sometimes the, the demonic still has rights, but we, I just pray that they're not able to hinder the ministry in any way, not able to talk or do anything um, that during our ministry time um, and, and afterwards. I'll pray for them as well. And the last thing we do is just say, Lord Jesus, whoever, if there's a part that you want to minister to today, I pray that you would allow us to, to minister that part. And I've learned to say not just part, but any parts or part, because one of the things that I have found yesterday with two people that we saw a lot of parts merged and healed, and it was almost like we were preaching to a crowd of parts, a lot of fracturing had taken place um, in both of their lives due to SRA type stuff. And I was like, thank you, God, that we didn't have to talk to every one of them one-on-one. That is very interesting. That's why I can't say the word typical because there's times that it's a part that begins to speak to other parts. Sometimes it's the core that begins to speak to the parts. You (laughs) never really know what the dynamics can look like. The usual was a part began to speak to the core because the core was struggling with where was Jesus when all this traumatic thing took place, and the part had already gotten healing, and 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 the, okay, I remember the, the the core. The Lord had led us to have the core talk to that part, and so then the part's going, "Why are you having trouble believing the very same stuff that you just told me?" And she was like, "Oh my gosh, how come I can believe it for this part of my soul, but I can't believe it for me?" and major breakthrough came. And I was like, there's other times that the Lord has me preaching to the parts. And that's because, and people may not understand this, but each part of the soul has a different belief system. Yep. 
they're they're a, they're a unique individual soul with preferences, likes, dislikes, personality, belief systems, and and it's not all through the same throughout the entire soul. And that is something that kind of people have a little bit of a hard time with. Yeah. Some of the parts know Jesus and like Jesus, other parts hate Jesus. And there's that dynamic to deal with. What we're talking about now sounds crazy the first time you begin to hear something like this. Um, when you watch the ministry take place, it is beautiful. And when, and when you see the fruit of transformation in someone's life, it's beautiful. But yeah, we talk about it on a kind of consistent basis, but I, I don't talk about it to my neighbors. I don't talk about it to many pastors um, that I hang out with. Not right off the bat, you know, I, I'll, I'll bait people. And when you can see their eyes glass over and they think you're crazy, I'm like, yeah, we can talk about all kind of other stuff. Yeah, this is throwing your pearls before the swine uh, yeah. kind of stuff. If they don't, if they don't have a grid for it, and yeah. and I don't, I don't talk to um, very many people about this unless they come to me and ask me. And they're like, "Hey, uh, heard your podcast or read something, and I want more information about this." And then I kind of go down that road, but it's not something you just talk about at the dinner yeah. table with the strangers. Yeah. yeah. Do most of the parts that you have encountered do they have names and? distinct identities or not? Is there anything that's kind of typical for you? It's interesting. Some people, every part seems to have a name already, have some level of identity. Other people, there's not a part that feels like it has a name. Some can quickly come up with a name. Some resent that question. Why do you always want a name? I don't know my name. And and they'll react like that. And it's something we do every day. And I'm like, okay, how would you like for me to address you? I don't know. You know, and you're like going, well, yeah, let me just call you since you're talking about your fears. Is um, timid one, is that okay? No, I don't like that. You know, and like, okay, <laughs> I do want to be able to address you and talk to you. So, you know, that's one extreme, you know, and, and so there's all over the place. Uh, some, the parts often call themselves by the characteristic, like, I am fear. I am loneliness. I am hidden. I am whatever. Right. So I'm Mary. I'm Jane. I'm Lulu. No, what's, what's amazing, amazing, this is one of the most beautiful facets, is a lot of times, let's just say a part calls itself Lulu, and I have no idea what the name Lulu means, but one of the things I'll often do is I'll Google Lulu, and I'm like, Let's, I'm making this up, but Lulu means shy. Well, that's what this part is. I'm like, there's no way the person knows that. Is, isn't that interesting? That like, when, when you encounter angels or demons and they have names, what does the name typically mean? It means it, if you look at them, you look at their area of specialization, their unique characteristics. It's perfect description of what they are and what they do. Yeah, yeah. But then, then one of the facets that we do is we go, Lord, do you have a name for Lulu? And almost 100% of the time, the Lord has a name. And sometimes it's like Sarah, and you're like going, and the Lord's been already talking to this part, and she, she felt shy and unimportant, and like she doesn't matter. And you look up the name Sarah, and it's princess. And you're going, and, and the Lord had already said something about her being his princess. And then when, and she doesn't know that the name Sarah means princess. Like, God, how does this happen? There's no way. I don't know names, but it is so significant. And it is 
I would say never off the mark. It is the name that the Lord gives. Nobody could have made it up. Nobody can have, we don't meet with a thousand people in a two year period of time who all are experts on names and can come up with the amazing name. It just happens. It's amazing when you look in Revelation, it says, to he who overcomes, I'll give a white stone on which is written a name that no one knows. (laughs) To the Lord, names are really important. He does it all through the Bible. Um, It's uncanny what the percentage of people in the Bible that we know about who had name changes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that most of the parts uh, live in the past? Yeah. What we often witness is parts like as we do ministry, let's say it, it broke at around five, and that's the first memory that begins to come up. And parts manifest in different ways. Sometimes it's a memory. Sometimes it's a feeling. Um, sometimes there's no memory. And I love that even, especially there's times that we're dealing with SRA, and there's major feeling. And there's a knowledge of the age. And I say, Lord, what do you want to do? Is there a memory you want to heal? Or and, and the Lord just begins to heal and speak over them. And never is a memory brought to light. And I'm like, thank you, God. Because I know in my spirit sometimes what it is that we might be dealing with. And the person doesn't even get a revelation of what that memory was. They just all of a sudden go from hopelessness to the joy of the Lord. Some people who do this type of ministry almost always require a memory to have to surface. And... And I, I always put that back in the Lord's hand because sometimes God, for whatever reason, and there's, there's various reasons, healing from that memory is important. And often some of those memories that are really traumatic, the person did not have an awareness of. Most of the time there is some awareness. And it, we know that it's not, we're not dealing with false memories. Um, we always ask the Lord to remove if, the, if something begins to surface in it. And we just say, Lord, if this is a false memory, we pray that you would take it away. If it's false, it'll go. If it's real, it'll it'll stay there. And a lot of times there's evidence in the person's life of some type of trauma, but there's no memories. They don't have any memories from before they're 12 years of age. You know, when, when the Lord begins to surface those traumas, it's usually very commensurate with what has been going on in their life. The type of trauma that would have caused the issues that they are battling with. I've found that when a person has significant amnesia, especially during childhood, that there's a strong likelihood that they have suffered significant trauma. Mm-hmm. And what, I, what I've found is the worse the amnesia is, the fewer memories they have, the more blank spots they have when they look back at their life, the worse the trauma probably is. Yeah. And I, when I started out doing this, I was always trying to get people to remember the event and you run into these people who have amnesia, and what they have is they can feel emotions, but they don't have an event. They don't have a memory of the event. They just know they feel this deep despair and hopelessness, but they don't know what's causing it. What I found many times that what the Lord will do is without bringing up the memory, he'll just heal the emotion, Yep. and they'll never recall the event. Yep. I prefer it when that happens, but I know sometimes that memory is important for various reasons. So. Right. And sometimes what I'll do is uh, I had this one gal that I was working with. She had been sexually assaulted at a very young age. I think she was like two years old uh, by her father. 
And she had no memory. She just had this emotion of terror and horror, and she didn't know what it was attached to. And I said, well, if the, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to show you the event, if it's, if it's important for you to remember it. And she saw this event, which she had no memory of up until that point. And uh, she felt the emotion, and then the Lord healed the emotion. But it, it is interesting that sometimes he'll give them the memory of the event, and sometimes he won't. I guess for people listening, don't get too hung up on whether the person can remember the event or not. It's not always important. If the Lord wants them to, he can you know, bring it to their memory. If not, then Absolutely. it's probably not important. Can you talk a little bit about rejection of parts and how sometimes the core of the personality will sometimes reject parts? Have you seen much of that? Yeah, it's it's interesting because um, a couple of times that I've seen that have been actually people that end up hospitalized before they came to us. And, and, and one of the factors behind that is of what I've witnessed, and, and this isn't always the case, but a couple that just popped in my head as soon as you asked that question, were because the part really wanted to deal with a memory and the core didn't want to deal with it. And and there are different um, parts. There's different people have different terms. Sometimes there's a primary break that happened at childhood. Different people call it different things. I've heard it called the flip side, the twin. Uh, and it has unique characteristics. But sometimes that part especially is a more dominant part in a lot of people. And so in this case, because the, the core personality didn't want to deal with it, that part was really ex- exerting its influence. And so she's in the hospital and they had three different charts on her with three different names. <laughs> and uh, so we ended up, we met the, the, the core had a name and, and then the primary break was, had almost the identical name, but it was um, just one letter difference. And, and it was interesting because the, core wanted to argue and and believe that the that primary break was liar and and must be even demonic because when she was young um in her teens actually she had been had a boyfriend that tried to molest her well the the part the primary part that was fighting for this influence called it a rape and she said i wasn't raped he tried but he wasn't successful and so then I was like, the Holy Spirit just began to show me. He was like, they they both have the same experience and both would describe it the same way, but both call it different things. And so I asked the, that part, I said, I said, when you hear the primary talking about this, are the details accurate? And she goes, yeah, the details are right. I'm not arguing with that, but that is rape. And I said, honestly, technically to the core, and it was a friend, I said, most counselors would call what you experienced rape, even though you got away from it. I was like, it is still rape. And and what you're talking about right now and what's creating this major wall between you and this part is semantics. Right. I mean, it was, it was a violent traumatic event. Yeah. And so, and the details of it are, you're right, are semantics. And it's strange how you can sort of twist that, to get your way if you want to perceive it a certain way. Yeah. And so it was, it was a, it was, she was arguing with herself, fighting with herself over that incident. And it took a while for the, for her to even open up 
to letting that part get ministry and get healing because she was afraid it had taken over and it had messed up so much of her life. But it was beautiful when, when the Lord healed that and reconciled them. And she goes, this isn't a messed up part. She cares about me. And the Lord had done amazing work in that part. And uh, But other people reject it because they feel like if I if you find a part in me, then that means I'm crazy. <laughs> and some of these people have had the most messed up, mixed up life, but not that they're like so afraid. If there's a part in me, that literally means that I'm really crazy. I'm like, I, I had parts and I, I would pass any psychological test, you know, except for people that believe that you hear voices, you're, you know, mentally insane, you know, which I had actually had a professor in seminary that said, anybody who says they heard God speak to them, needs professional help. So um, yeah, those kind of people might say I need professional help. But other than that, you know, I was right. like, I don't have any of those type of issues. I got a question for you. Yeah. I am the administrator of a group on Facebook that is specifically for people with DID. Mm-hmm. And I've got, I have a lot of friends actually who have uh, multiples. One of my friends he would call himself, and I and everyone would call him a very high functioning yeah. uh, multiple. He's he's very aware of the of his alters, and they're they're an interesting crew. He is reluctant to go through ministry. I think it's because his alters don't understand the process, right. and I think they have a perception that they're going to cease to exist if he goes through this process of um, emotional healing. What would you say to someone who has DID and is and their alters are afraid that they're going to be annihilated or cease to exist, and that's why they don't want to go through this? Well, first of all, there's nothing that we do that's against the will of the alters. Um, there's no manipulation. There's no control. There's no, um, ah, ha, ha, we've got you. Now we're going to merge you. You know, it, it's not how it operates. Um, what I often invite them into is a deeper encounter with Jesus and a trusting of him. And, and I go, and I I can tell them unequivocally, I've never seen the Lord not give a part a more valuable and worthwhile name and role. But instead of now being a fragmented soul, it's more of united soul. And that together you can accomplish more than divided. And that's true of any organization. It's true of any church. It's true of anything. And, and the same is true of a soul. But I said, I said, we've never merged a part that didn't want to be merged. And so I said, if you're willing to get some ministry, then at the point where that's a possibility, um, it'll be, what does the Lord want and what do you want? And I've never had a part say, no way, I'm not ready to. Well, I don't say that. Very few times there's, there's, I can think of one off the top, of my, no, two off the top of my head, where the Lord put a part in a position of like a sentry for a, for a period of time. And I don't know why that is. Those parts were often heavily tormented, hopeless, bound up. And now, you know, they have, a role and, and feel very competent and capable. And, you know, the Lord has healed them and they're so transformed. It's incredible. Um, but, but I have witnessed that I think two times 
I, I have a, a friend who um, she's, gosh, she's one of the oldest uh, multiples that I, I've, I know. She's 60 years old yeah. and has significant DID. And she's talked about like a century, like uh, what, guardian parts who are yeah. given roles and responsibilities within the inner world to help them feel like they're valuable, to let them know that they have a function and they have a purpose. And until they're ready, I think what she says is until they are ready to be integrated, the Lord will give them something, a little higher standing, a little something more significant for them to do until they're ready to go to the next step, whatever the next step is going to be. Yeah. How do you introduce the parts to Jesus when you're doing uh, the ministry? For me, I do that almost from the moment that we begin to communicate with them. Because where I learn from, they often end up wanting to process the emotions and get deeper emotional healing, um, process memories before. And I'm like going, you know what? The first thing I want to do is introduce him to Jesus. And I want to put him in charge of this ministry time. Rather than me assume that we have to deal with memories and we have to deal with emotions, let me put the Lord in charge. So part of that is introducing them to this person who's the greatest healer of all times who you know and and who can be their best friend because many of them they felt so alone and so it's overcoming some of their their trepidation about meeting jesus their fears and when i put that first i tend to see the ministry take place faster the lord heals the emotions in the most incredible ways and we haven't had to explore the emotions they're presented and then the Lord just comes in and heals them gloriously. There are times where we have to explore them. So I don't, I just don't start from the vantage point of we have to do this and here's how we do this. Cause I've learned so many different keys and, and, but I'm like, when I like to put it in the Lord's hands as soon as possible. So that varies because sometimes you're dealing with a child part. And you can't talk to a child about their sinfulness, especially when they've been a victim. I present Jesus in a very different way to a child than I right. do an older part, you know. And and then you know, it's just a lot of times I go, Holy Spirit, just give me the words. And it is always just amazes me what that looks like and how varied it is because it's all about connecting them to a relationship. With Jesus. It's not giving them the four spiritual laws and a prayer at the end. Um, <laughs> it is connecting them to Jesus. And that looks so different, different times. Yeah. You know, it's interesting for me. I, I have found that when the Lord is leading me to do, you know, any kind of ministry, whether it's, you know, giving somebody a prophetic word or physical healing or uh, emotional healing, it always, always, always comes down to an issue of I'm introducing you to Jesus. The goal of this interaction is not me getting you healed of bursitis or a migraine headache. The goal of this interaction is I want you to know something about Jesus that you did not know yesterday. (laughs) And I want you to seek him out and develop a stronger relationship with him. Like the Lord gave me this dream that I talk about all the time, where I was in the dream, I was praying for people to be healed in the emergency department. And I was praying for a doctor who had like a 
I think he had arthritis in his elbow and I was praying for a child. And in the dream, I knew that the most important thing that the Lord wanted me to do was introduce them to his presence. Getting them healed was secondary. And this is really, I think, true in emotional healing. It Mm -hmm. is all about Jesus. If Jesus doesn't get involved in the process, it's not going to happen. There's no point in even doing it because, like you said, the earlier you get Jesus involved in the dynamic, the quicker it goes, the better it goes. He needs to be in control of the, of you know what's going to happen next. I think I like your your approach in that you have kind of a, a a setup to the encounter. Certain things that you do, I do the same thing. Like I, I don't say that I have a formula, but I have a certain um, number of things that I do pretty routinely. But within that routine, I always try to you know let Jesus do whatever He wants to do at any particular time. Change it up do whatever, because you really don't know what his plan is. I've been prophesying right in the middle of what I normally do. <laughs> and I'm right. like, and I'm like I, I know when that's happening, that it's like, the Lord knows what part he wants to deal with already. And he just jumps right to talk into that part. And most of the time I really fight. I, I don't like the guided stuff. I stay away from that, except when the Holy Spirit tells me to. Um, I'm not the type that goes, I'm not going to tell you, here's where you are. Imagine this. And now do you see Jesus? No. I'm more like, what do you see? You've asked the Lord to come and visit you. Right. What do you see? Right. What do you hear? I, I don't try to guide. But when, when it becomes prophetic, I go, the Lord sees you. And what happens invariably, like this happened just yesterday with multiple people, I just started almost right off the bat speaking prophetically to a part and they're like going before you said a word I, there was a part that was hiding and saying there's no way you're going to get me to talk and then and then i'm i'm saying the lord sees you and you don't want to be seen and it scares you so bad right now that i'm talking to you and that i know you're there and and i'm i'm, I'm saying but you don't have to be afraid of him and i just keep going on and i'm like i can tell them like everything that you were saying I felt is what I was feeling before I even said it. It was, and, and it's just the Holy spirit is guiding this and he's calling that part out. And it was so amazing because it was, then it it merged a whole massive group. She said they would fill a stadium, but it started with one that was hidden. And then it was weird because as we were ministering to that one, I kept seeing one behind it. It was hiding in in a corner. And then I, as soon as we were done ministering to that one, I said, the Lord sees you. There's another one. And I said, and there's more behind you. And I said, would you just step forward? And all of a sudden, it was like this large group. And, and the Lord just began speaking and prophesying over the whole group. And we talked to the whole group because they got to witness this one part coming to Jesus and him ministering to them. And I said, who else wants that healing? And it was like they had all been watching, and they all stepped forward. And Jesus, That's awesome. Jesus went through ministering to each one of them individually. I don't know the names of any of them. I don't even know what Jesus said to any of them. But it was like he can be personal with every one of them at the same time. And Isn't that amazing how he does that? It's, he's doing amazing. it all the time. We, just, we think <laughs> in our little boxes. But, like, he's here in the 
Chinese church praying and the, and the American and the African and the Asian and, you know, all over the world, he's hearing them all and he's talking to them all. And he's telling all of his children that are receiving ministry, you are special to me. I love you. You matter. You're important to me. And it's true. We think because we're one in a billion or six billion people that we, we don't really matter. And the Lord's like so personal. He is. So you want to talk about Jezebel? Uh, I just, it was such an interesting story and it ties into different things. But, um, yeah, this you know, was a dear friend of our beautiful, beautiful woman. I've known her for years. We've been close friends. And, um, you know, she trusts me. I trust her. And all of a sudden I just said, Lord, whatever part it is that you want to minister to. She's been through so much trauma. It's incredible. Never had a part of anything like this before. And she goes, I'm Jezebel. It's like, okay, Jezebel. And she goes, she goes, you don't know really who I am or how powerful I am. And I was like, okay, if this is a demon, Lord, then I ask you to remove it. If this is a part, let us minister to it. And this friend of mine goes, you think your marriage is strong and you think you're strong, but you have nothing. You can't resist what my wiles or whatever it was, something like that. It was like, almost knocked me over. I was like, I never had that direct of an approach. Oh man, we've been friends for 12 years. Never, never had anything, you know, like this happen. And all of a sudden she's talking to me like, I'm coming after you and I'm going to seduce you and you're not going to be able to stand up. And I, and I was like, I don't deal with this every day. And all of a sudden I just like, the Lord just took over. I mean, it was not even 30 seconds. And, and I said, Jezebel, let me tell you about the most powerful man who has ever lived. And I was like, as I'm hearing myself speak, I'm going, this is brilliant. Because what is Jezebel drawn to? Men of power. But I haven't had two seconds to even think about my response. I'm kind of still stunned, but it was like the Holy Spirit took over. And and I'm listening. And I said, I said, this man is a man so full of love and he loves you. But he is most powerful man. He's changed history. He has shaken kingdoms. And he wants a relationship with you. And I, I, I talked about how you have always liked men of power and how, but to have the influence that you have, you always felt like you had to sell a piece of yourself. You had to give something to get power and you were in that quest for power, but a part of you died every time you did that. And, and I spoke for literally 15, 20 minutes to Jezebel and my heart changed towards Jezebel. I was like seeing her as a victim of her own sin and in bondage to this. Her quest for power had cost her her very soul. She had zero self-respect left. And I had never processed, I'd never thought about any of this. And when I was done, I'm thinking, okay, is she going to like bite my head off? Is she going to continue to try to seduce me? She just begins to weep. She goes, how could he ever love me? How could he ever forgive me for the things that I've done? And I was, 
we didn't have any more of the Jezebelic kind of stuff. We had a little, I mean, not, not even a little girl. I mean, it was, it was a young woman part that was so ready to be washed and cleansed and forgiven. And it was beautiful. It was powerful. And it, and it, I had a whole fresh new perspective of Jezebel. And of course, this was a part, this is not the demon. Right. But the people that have subjected themselves to that spirit. Right. And what it has cost them. And That's... they are not the demon. Um, I've never believed that they are. I, I've, battled Jezebel in different churches and I know it's not the person that's coming against me or the prophetic it's the spirit and so I battle it in the spirit realm but this was like a whole fresh new perspective and I was just like wow Lord I see Jezebel through your eyes now the person and the people that have been that have given themselves to that spirit the demonic was gone um, so easily. And yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. Well, the truth is powerful. Yeah. So quick question for you. Can emotional healing and deliverance be done safely by an individual on themselves? Um, yes, it is safe to do on your own. And yes, we need other people to do it. I, I believe that we are the body of Christ for a reason and we need one another. I also believe that the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness. That doesn't mean I don't need you. And I, um, what's his name? Um, goodness. All right. Jack Frost he used to go twice a year to receive ministry. And he would talk about that openly. And I thought, God, that's the way I want to be. I, I don't have money to go search out people for ministry. I don't feel like I always have to have ministry multiple times, but he would go for a week of ministry. And I believe that we need each other. There are times that I've had to do self-deliverance and there are times that I've needed to go to someone else. Some of these type of things, I've known people like for me, I wouldn't even know where to begin to deal with a part in myself because I wasn't aware of any parts. Someone else, right. the guy that taught me, he said, I couldn't get an appointment for six months, and I knew that what was going on, and I read everything, and I understood it, so I began to do it to myself, and I had merged numerous parts before I went for ministry. I was like, going, that's amazing, you know? So it can be done on oneself to some degree, but I do believe we need each other, and the body of Christ needs anointed, gifted people to, Help. Yeah, and I would agree. I have some uh, situations where I've been, I've felt some emotional trauma where I just quickly, you know, gave it to Jesus and he took care of it. Didn't need anybody else involved. But I've had those more significant traumatic things where I knew this was um, bigger than me and I needed some help. So I got a hold of one of my buddies and they walked me through the process. So that's cool. Um, what do you think is the key thing? about emotional healing and deliverance that most people are missing? Hmm, I believe there's a lot of valuable keys, but I, I, I guess the thing that we've talked about a fair amount today and something that revolutionized my ministry after many years of doing this, even teaching people how to hear God's voice is 
learning to facilitate an encounter with Jesus is I feel like I accomplish more by doing less. And that is very easy to say, and it's actually very easy to do. But for many people, it's like, what did you just say? How do you do that? Um, But it really is. It's amazing how easy it is. And it's amazing how powerful it is. I would agree. You know, it's kind of funny. When I do physical healing, a lot of times uh, I'll be exhausted when I'm done doing, you know, just doing ministry with a group of people. But when I do emotional healing, I don't get nearly exhausted. And I have much better results with emotional healing. (laughs) It's less work because I've come to realize Jesus is really the one doing the work. And I'm just kind of sitting back and, you know, perceiving and understanding, okay, what is Jesus saying? What's he doing? And and he's doing most of the work. I'm just kind of hanging back being a a, a, a narrator, sort of. Well, the, and the truth is they're so interconnected. We we have people come in for physical healing. And a lot of, I don't start by just going after the physical healing. I go, most of our physical issues are rooted in spiritual stuff. And even stuff like you talked about the generational. My own sister had five vertebrae damage. And it was from a number of car accidents. The first clue that it might be generational was the fact that my mom had the exact same operation at the exact same age. Now, her discs had been chipped and pieces of bone were sticking in the spinal cord. Both of them, the same thing happened. I have not heard of that, but like one other person in all my years of ministry. But it was like the fourth or fifth vertebrae down on both of them. Chips of bone stuck in the spinal cord. And um, they had to go in from the throat, the front of the throat um, to, and, you know, open up their spinal or the, the, the discs and remove these chips of bone from the spinal cord and put it all back together. And 50% chance you lose your voice on this operation. First clue that it might be generational is 32 years of age and 32 years of age. Both of them had the same operation. My sister had originally thought, well, this isn't something spiritual because it happened in car accidents. So, you know, thinking my brother heals people of spiritual stuff. Um, I see it all interwoven and I'm going, well, we don't, we don't know, but it, okay. There's a pretty good clue that it might be generational. We asked the Holy spirit to reveal to us what the root was. And my dad and I were both praying for, her, and then instantly we both had visions. And in both of the visions, it had to do with um, abuse of slaves And um, in my vision, it was also KKK. And I don't remember if I knew at that time, but at some point along my journey, I found out that both sides of our family owned slaves. And But you don't write in the history book what anybody did, but I saw, you know, um, these atrocities. So my sister repented on behalf of the sins of our forefathers. And that day... She pulled the neck brace off, had total movement in her neck, painted her bedroom, went to the doctor, they x-rayed, and they and the doctor wrote healed on her paperwork. He said, all the tips of bone are gone. And so there was a pretty amazing, miraculous healing that day, dealing with generational curses and spiritual roots to what appeared to be just a physical issue. So, and we had already prayed over physical healing, 
But when she opened up to maybe there could be something spiritual, boom, you know, the healing took place. So I'm with you. I, I am taking a much more integrative approach, kind of a, if you want to call it holistic approach toward healing now, yeah. especially when there's a lot of Christians who have received prayer from ministries who have a pretty good track record and, you know, they're still not healed. I had a very similar uh, case with a woman like you. This woman had been in car accidents and had really bad neck and back pain. And she, you know, just kind of assumed it was because of the car accidents. She had received a lot of prayer, wasn't healed. We took her through the emotional healing process. Uh, By the time we were done, all of her pain was gone. And I see so much more of that now. When I get someone who comes to me and says, hey, I need to be healed of X, Y, Z. And my first question is, um, have you received prayer for it before? And if they say no, sometimes I'll just go straight forward with, you know, releasing power or uh, using authority. But if they say, yeah, I've received prayer a lot and you know, I've never been healed yet, that to me, that indicates that there's something else going on besides just, you know, a physical problem. It's probably emotional or generational. And I, I'm, I see a lot better success when you look at multiple different issues and systematically work through them. Yep. Amen. I'm in total agreement. So can you tell me a little bit more about your book, G- The Jesus Training Manual? Yeah. I had launched a thing in a book called The 40-Day Revolution years before, but it was the first book that I wrote and did not like English. I did not like writing assignments, but the Lord kept telling me, the things I'm teaching you aren't just for you. They're for really the whole body of Christ. And the original title of it was Lord Disciple Me, because that was my prayer. I was like, Lord, would you teach me the things you taught the Twelve? And because discipleship is so misunderstood, we changed the title to the Jesus Training Manual, because I believe that what the Lord began to show me was the very foundational things that Jesus taught his disciples. In the Great Commission, he said, teach them everything I've taught you. And I, I would swear that part of the Great Commission was added at some point, because we were Great Commission churches, but none of us had ever really examined what did Jesus teach his disciples. Of course, we read the New Testament, and we would, you know, but never from the examining, what was it that Jesus taught his disciples? If they're to go and teach everyone the stuff he taught them, what did he teach them? Seems like such a simple, basic thing. But when I did that, I'm going, God, this is so radically different from anything I've experienced or seen in church. So, you know, as the Lord taught me different things, I was like, what is, when you boil it all down, what is it? What did Jesus teach? He taught his disciples by his example. He's, one of the things he said is, I never do anything of my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing. And he talked about hearing the sheep, hear the shepherd's voice. And so he was teaching them how to hear the Father's voice, how to have a communion with the Father and with him. And so that was one of the keys that Jesus was teaching. He taught them that they have authority and power. He gave them authority and power to cast out demons to heal the sick, two very powerful keys that I had never been given. I did not know that he's given us everything we need to be able to heal the sick, to cast out demons. The kingdom of God, that's a study I'm doing afresh again for I don't know how many times, but it's it's so radically different. When you look at the truth of the kingdom of God, I'm like going, how did I have a seminary degree and I couldn't answer easily well, 
what the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God were, were about. I could have sounded intelligent because when you get degrees, you always have to at least try to come off like you know what you're talking about. But I knew that I didn't have a real solid answer for that. But that's what the, that's what Paul says he went about preaching the kingdom of God. And he went about teaching the kingdom of God. It's what the disciples went out teaching. It's what Jesus taught. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he went from town to town preaching the kingdom of God, healing the sick, casting out demons. That's repeated over and over again. And I was like, what is the kingdom of God? So... It's those type of foundational things, our authority, the power of God. What I believe would be class 101, but I had been to so many class 101s and never heard these things. So that's what Jesus Training Manual is about. Right on. I love that. That's the thing that the Lord has had me focus on for the last five years, and which is why my books and my series, The Kingdom of God Made Simple, Healing made simple, seeing in the spirit, hearing God's voice. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's well, it's hey, look, what did Jesus actually teach his disciples? Yeah. To hear God's voice, to release power, to exercise authority, to raise the dead. Those are the things that he taught his disciples. And then he told his disciples, Go and teach the world all the things I've taught you. Uh people can get distracted on a lot of different things other than what Jesus actually taught his disciples. Right. And I'm, I, it just blesses me to know that there's people like you who are, are they get it, they're teaching it, you're setting people free, and uh, I, I love it. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What kind of receptivity do you find in most churches to what you— I stay out of churches. <laughs> I, I, I kind of say that jokingly, but— uh, I'm I'm really serious. I I don't go to a church regularly. Mm-hmm. I don't teach in churches very often. Most of my uh, the people that are friends of me and follow me on my podcast, my website, and on Facebook uh, are church dropouts. I have a very unusual uh, ministry in that uh, I'm primarily called and ministering to people and teaching people who are outside the church the institutional church. Um, the only time I ever really teach inside of a church setting building is uh, we've, I've got a buddy here. They have a Arizona School of Supernatural Ministry. It's located at different places around Arizona. They have five or six locations. And they bring in itinerant um, teachers and prophets and apostles and healers. And they do that um, two sessions a year. Okay. I will. I've partnered with them. And I teach one session for each of their semesters. But I don't really do a lot of teaching inside of churches, church buildings. I get requests, but that's not what the Lord has actually asked me to do. So my experience is just very different from a lot of people. And and the message that I put out there about, you know, anyone can do it, and you don't have to be anyone special, uh, is very well received. I tend to reach a lot of people who are believers and they're still believers, and they're still pursuing God, but they've either outgrown church because they've been going to, you know, whatever denominational church for five years, they've heard all the messages, and they stopped growing. They they grew for a while, they were interested in things, and then they just started hearing the same things over and over again, and they weren't really going anywhere different, anything new. A lot of people are frustrated with the institutional church because it seems to lack power. There, there really isn't a lot of signs and miracles and wonders going on unless you go to places like Bethel. 
and you know there are some more of those churches popping up here and there but i tend to draw uh, to to my following people who are have either been or just fed up with church they've been kicked out of churches they've been abused by church leadership a lot of those people uh, i actually end up end up doing some emotional healing um, because of the betrayal or abuse of you know in leadership and things like that that tends to be a large cross section of the people that I end up drawing into my message. And when they run into me, they're like, Hey, you're talking about healing and traveling in the spirit and seeing in the spirit and hearing God's voice. And I'm the, those are kind of my key things that I teach about. And it's really interesting, especially with traveling in the spirit. Now, since I published that book, people are coming out of the woodwork who are having experiences of traveling into the heavens and traveling around the world and you know praying for people and doing ministry and they're just traveling you know in the spirit and that is a very interesting thing that God has put on the map now um, how much abuse have you seen of that and... abuse of traveling in the spirit yeah well you know um the not much abuse hardly any what i would call abuse what i do see a lot of is I, I run into a fair number of people who have come from the new age, yeah. um, you know, and they they're familiar with astral projection and some of them are familiar with witchcraft and uh, some of the things they do. Those people tend to be very leery about traveling in the spirit. And so then I get to have the conversations where I explain to them, okay, so there's astral projection and there is what the apostle Paul did and what Elijah did, <laughs> which Jesus did, and what the Apostle John did all through the book of Revelation. They're traveling in the Spirit, but it's not astral projection. It's something different. Um, I tend to have more discussions with people who have are familiar with traveling in the Spirit, but they're afraid because they have seen the dark side of it. Now, when I first came out with the book on traveling in the Spirit, I did run into some people who, you know, they just thought it was heresy and, and nonsense and it's all astral projection and witchcraft. And that's fine. I don't really engage those people because they're not interested. Um, and, and if they're not interested in the subject matter, I, I don't get into arguments with people. Um, I'm interested in finding people who want to learn more about it. And so I tend to look for those types of people to talk with. One of the things that's interesting is when you get into emotional healing and deliverance, okay? You're engaging the spiritual realm. <laughs> you're engaging the demonic. You're engaging the angelic realm. And you're talking about an intradimensional existence of non-physical beings, mm-hmm. all these different parts of the soul. They don't exist in the physical realm, mm-hmm. right? right? So that kind of integrates into this whole qu- question of, what is it to travel in the spirit into the spiritual world? What is it? And really at, at bottom, what it comes down to for me is I tell people, look, we are having interactions in the non-physical realm all the time. We're just not aware of it. Your spirit does not um, stop interacting with the Holy Spirit and Jesus and angels and demons um, when you're not aware of it. It's not like it just starts and stops magically. It's always going on. If you have wounded parts of your soul, they don't start and stop their existence when you become aware of them. They're always there. So what I try to you know, encourage people to understand is 
interacting in the spiritual world and in the realm of the soul, which I don't really know if, what dimension that is, but it's not something that is taboo, and it's not something that we should be afraid of. It's something that happens all the time. You know, you're, you're, we are a spirit. We have a soul. We exist in a physical body for a period, limited period of time. What happens when your physical body dies? Well, then your spirit and soul are still existing in the spiritual world. So my, my focus is really helping people understand that you can ignore this if you want to, but there's no reason to ignore it. You're having these interactions when you have dreams and you dream that you are going across the Atlantic Ocean and you're praying for somebody in Africa. There's a possibility that you're actually traveling there and doing that in, in reality. And it's not just a dream. So it, it's, it's fun stuff to talk about. And uh, I'm getting a lot more testimonies and I, I love them. Cool. You have a limited ability to do ministry with people who need uh, emotional healing, I'm guessing, because it's busy schedule. expanding. We're build, building a team of people. That's area right now that is both exciting and um, a little bit overwhelming is there's some things God, I believe, may be laying on my heart that I really want the Lord to make clear. Um, like I just got a call today from someone in Utah, a woman who just got out of a hospital trying to commit suicide. She's got three children and she's like, I'm a victim of SRA. People are out to hurt me. I need a place to go. And I'm like, I could do ministry over the phone. And I'm like, I can't tell you, we, we actually pulled our ministry to SRA off of our website, not because we don't want to do it, but because of the inundation. And, and then the Lord began to, sh- it's like he began to peel back the veil. And I, like, I, I don't research stuff because I don't want to know what the enemy's up to. I only, I only want to know the Lord. And, but the Lord had me start, researching some stuff I, i'm sure you probably have heard of pizza gate yep um and and all it's like all that's happening in the dc area and then the pedophile rings in hollywood there's um, a lot that's being exposed right now and i'm just like you know there's there's people mainstream people rappers music artists that are talking about you know the illuminati and the and you know, the stuff they've been a part of and, and there's excerpts like Katy Perry going, I wish I, I knew who Katy Perry was. I miss her. And I don't even know where she went and, and you know, stuff like that. I'm like going, that's God brings us those kind of people, not Katy Perry, but you know, the, the people that have been that messed up and we can, we can bring healing to them. And I'm like going, I felt like the Lord telling me it's time to buy a center. I'm like, I don't have money to do that, but it's like time to have a place for people to come to and receive ministry because what you're doing, you know, over Skype and stuff like that is great. But the people that are coming that are the, that are more broken, that isn't going to work for. The need for healing on a large scale. And I'm like, and it's training. Oh yeah. And we, we need training centers and we need people to get trained up and equipped to learn that's, how to do this. That's what so I, want. Many I want. A, I want a training center where people are coming, receiving ministry, but people are being equipped and it's expanding. And, and the Lord said, I, I offered 
in one of the parables, he said, I offered this banquet to the sons of the kingdom, but they rejected it. So I want you to go to the prostitutes and the homeless and compel them to come. And that is who I'm going to give the kingdom to. And he said to the religious leaders, he said, he said, the kingdom is passing you by. And the most broken people, basically what he's saying, are the ones that are coming for it. And the Lord was like going, the message, the message that you have and the equipping that you have is spurned by most people. He said, but the most broken are hungry for it and then want to help others. It's like the Lord's laying something on my heart that's both scary and exciting. And <laughs> welcome the to the club. The enemy tells <laughs> well, me I'm a failure. There's no way I could do something like this. And I'm like, you know, I'm just going, God, I don't want anything that comes in my own imagination. If this is of you, let the seed germinate and let it come to pass. If it's of me, let it die a quick death and let us just keep doing what we're doing. But it's funny because I have the same thing going on. The Lord has been speaking to me about moving out the tent pegs and doing more training and equipping on a larger mm-hmm. scale where I can reach more people. And yeah. my first reaction was, oh my gosh, this is going to be so much work. <laughs> and <laughs> where are the resources going to come from? And it's a whole new way of you know doing things. The Lord's been expanding you know, my vision, like you are getting this vision to expand, do more training and equipping. I've been doing the same thing. I've been putting the wood to the fire, building this new platform where I can do more training and equipping because I just realized there are so online. many people out there. Who need it. Yeah, it'll be online. Uh, I'm, I'm creating kind of an online uh, university, if you will, uh-huh. uh, video-based teaching with some live streaming video teaching. And it'll be topical, so there will be you know classes on healing and classes on emotional healing and deliverance and hearing God's voice and seeing in the spirit things like that. Um, because I've been people have been asking me, they're like, "Hey, when are you going to do mentoring? When are you going to do coaching? We, you know, when can we get some more of your time? Your books are great, but we'd like to actually talk to you and get some more personal training." And people are really hungry for this, so I would encourage you, Richard, to yeah. don't don't be afraid. If the Lord's put it on your heart, just do it, and you're going to watch yeah. people come at flock to it. They're hungry for it. Yep. I um, I had like 24 hours to process some of what I felt like the Lord was saying yesterday. I, I, I've been wanting to train people and equip people, um, but I'm, I've been content. Like Jesse came, sat in, watched me do ministry. Then he began to do ministry, and then he took it into the workplace. Um, you know, so... <laughs> That's, that's kind what of the needs way to happen, and and, yeah. and that's the hands-on is the best way. I've shot a gazillion videos, but I whoever helped us set that up in the past, it was just too ad hoc and not. I had the flow of how to do it, but but it was just a bunch of videos on pages. You know, it wasn't set up like a real school, like a university. I don't you know, but there's stuff like that that people when we took it down for a while, people were like. I've watched every one of your videos. I've been waiting for more. Why did you take them down? I send people. I'm like, Oh, sorry. You know, I didn't know anybody had ever read, watched any of them. Um, We didn't have a way of tracking. And I'm sure there was back end, you know, that we could have found out stuff like that, but we didn't know it. So at times I'm like going, God, I want to equip people, but there's not too many people that seem hungry for more equipping, you know? Well, you'll be, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm running into a lot of people. The more I put out there, the more I get 
inquiries from people. Yeah. About, hey, is is there anything more than this? It's not everybody. You know that there are certain people who just want to be healed and they don't want to learn at all anything about healing. There are other people who are kind of, you know, I'll, I'll learn a little bit, um, just enough so that I can feel spiritual. Yeah. And then there are those people who are, they're hardcore. They want to know everything you know, and they want to know more than what you know. <laughs> and, yeah. and I'm building a platform for those people, for right. the people who just want to do this stuff. And, yeah. and they're fearless and they're bold and they want to get it done. So you'll, you'll find those people. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. Well, my brother, I should probably be letting you go. I know you got things to do. It's kind of late where you are. And uh, I just really appreciate your time. Uh, I find this subject so fascinating. My followers who are listening to my podcast and my YouTube channel, they love this stuff. I know they're going to be blessed by it. If people want to contact you, your ministry is Operation Light Force. Dot com, yeah. And, so OperationLightForce.com, that's the website? Yep. We also have GodSpeaksBible.com, if anybody wants to know about that. We have 40DayRevolution.com, but yeah, the, the main site is OperationLightForce.com. That's more about the ministry. I'll put links to those in the, in the notes. Okay. All right, man, I'm going to let you go. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, brother. All right, you too. Take care. Okay, bye. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. If you have any questions or comments about the show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. You can also contact me on Facebook and Twitter. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show.